Welcome back to a very special episode of the Living Healthy Podcast presented by LA Fitness. This month is Mental Health Month. And so on today's episode, we're bringing back Dr. Doshi to help us understand exactly what mental illness is, the effects of mental illness on the body, and how social media and technology play into these conditions. We're also going to be discussing ways you can reach out for treatment and the future of mental health in general. But first, let's meet our guest today. Dr. Doshi is double board certified in adult psychiatry and child and adolescent psychiatry with Kaiser Permanente of Orange County. He joined us about six months ago to first discuss this topic. We had a great conversation and we're looking forward to having another one. So with that being said, Dr. Doshi, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again. Very happy to be here. It's We're good happy to, ha- to have you. Yeah, it's good to have you back. So with one in every five adults in the U.S. experiencing a mental health condition uh, in a given year, we definitely want to talk about some of the ways that we can help destigmatize mental illness uh, and help people get treatment. But before we do that, we kind of want to know, can you give us a recap of what mental illness, what it means to have a mental illness? I mean, I think thinking about it in terms of mental health in general, mental health is just a state of being which takes into account our cognitive, psychological, and emotional health. And there's various forces that work toward that. And taking all of those into account are what we think about when we consider mental health. Okay. Uh, and, and you know what? We we had that conversation about six months ago for Mental Illness Awareness Week. We did a, a little campaign on social media. And I wanted to share some of the responses we got from that because we got some really positive um interaction uh, with our community. And the question that we kind of posed to people was, is working out part of your therapy? And uh, these were some of the responses, without a doubt. Yes, it is. I used to be so depressed and take medication, but I started releasing all my stress when I started going to the gym. Absolutely true. More people should try it. Yes, the best decompression ever. Uh, we also had some other people say, yes, the it's the greatest therapy I've found outside of the therapist chair. I've also found a few amazing souls over the past few years and have shared with, who have shared with me some of their darkest moments and are an absolute delight to see when I walk in the doors. A simple, genuine hi with a smile from the staff members can turn your day around too. Thank you. Uh, another person said, I just signed up, and if it does what a few people have said here already, I can't wait to begin. Um, when I started working out, I not only gained physical strength, but which also, uh, it cured my chronic anxiety. I became more confident and my social anxiety no longer bothered me. Uh, my personal training has been, a, uh, one of the best coping mechanisms for anxiety. Thank you, LAF. Um, so this just kind of highlighted to us that this is really a big, um, deal to people and it's kind of a bigger topic. Um, and it's starting to gain notoriety now. Uh, as well in the media. So can you kind of talk about what you think, why you think mental health is becoming so mainstream, I guess, to put it that way? Well, I think that we um, are able to tap into other people more easily now. And that's happening with social media. That's happening with, you know, just the internet in general, being able to read newspapers from around the world, have different topics at your doorstep that you probably couldn't um, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I think we're more um, knowledgeable of what's going on around us. And then if we just look at domestically here in the United States, what's happened over the last, you know, let's say eight to 10 years, we have more people insured than ever. And Mm -hmm. when you have people that are insured, they're going to seek out care. And that care, sure, it's going to be some of it physical, but a lot of it is also going to be emotional and behavioral health care. And when we have that, we have more interest driving mental health topics, which I love and I'm glad to see because I think it's something that, you know, people struggle with reaching out. And I'm glad that you hear all these big names talking about it, whether it be on Twitter or various different platforms. 
Right. I think, yeah, so, and a big component of that is kind of, um, I guess, like you said, when you're connecting with more people, maybe you develop a little bit more empathy for that. But I kind of wanted to talk about that because mental illness, it's so, like we talked about in our last episode, it's so internalized. Like you can't really necessarily see if someone is injured mentally, so to speak. Um, So it might be hard for everyone, especially those that don't have a mental illness, to kind of um, empathize with those people that do suffer from it. So how can we kind of bridge this empathy gap between those that suffer and those that don't? I think that's a very important question. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I think first off is like with most interactions with any human being is don't try and fix. Mm -hmm. We get into a really tough space when we're trying to fix people. Um, you know, it's being sad and being okay are not incompatible. When you, when you know that someone you work with or um, lives in your dorm, whatever it might be, is dealing with depression or anxiety, doesn't mean that they can't have a normal conversation with you. So I think that you, we should speak as if they belong in the group, not mm. that they need to be treated differently or that we have to account for this in some fashion where it would make it very um, hard for us to be ourselves. Mm. I think they want you to be yourself, you want to be yourself. Right. It's the only way we really know how to be. And so that empathy can really come through if we see it as, I don't need to fix the situation. I don't need to change anything. I just need to be who I am and let this person be who they are. Are there specific ways you can engage with someone though that you think suffers from mental illness? Or like you're saying, like kind of be yourself. But if if you see some, I think it, maybe it's hard for people to see someone uh, struggling with something and not do something about it. You know what I mean? So how do you kind of judge that or know? Absolutely. So listening. I think listening is the best way. Hear their story, understand, seek first to understand, and, you know, reserve judgment. It's really hard for us, right? We want to judge right from the beginning. Um, not just people, but scenarios, situations, anything going on, because it's easier for us. It allows us to move forward to do whatever we were thinking of doing anyway. Right. But yeah. if we can really reserve judgment, it helps to understand and really allow that person to feel like they were heard, which is probably all they really want out of that interaction anyways. Right. Yeah, I've, I've kind of found that um, if you can ask the simple question, why do you feel that way? A lot of times I've, I've seen that kind of had success where it's like you aren't trying to fix them, but you're asking, why do you think you feel that way? And then that just opens the door for them to express themselves further. And it sounds like that's what you're saying is kind of the most helpful is just letting someone express themselves. Yeah. Seeking first to understand is such a big part of this. And it's something that we, you know, don't always naturally do. It may not be our first impulse. You know, it's not unlike having a friend who's going through a breakup or a friend who's a new parent, maybe. Maybe you've had two kids. Maybe you've had four breakups. Uh, doesn't mean that whatever worked for you is going to work right. for them. And doesn't mean that in the 90 seconds you interact with them at the gym, they yeah. want you to fix that issue. It's so, it's so true. Why? I wonder why we all, or maybe it's just the guys. I know guys are fixers, but why... I wonder why we naturally do want to try and do that in that 90 seconds. Because it's so it's so rational to think like, no, you're not going to do it. That's not what's necessary. Everyone's situation is different. But yet we still somehow feel compelled. And I wonder, I wonder if it's just, honestly, this is going to go way off. But I wonder if it's just us trying to control the chaos of the universe. Maybe. <laughs> Good I mean, to hear from I, you, Candace. <laughs> welcome welcome to Hi, the show. I, I'm here too, guys. Uh, well, I, w- I actually have a few questions for Dr. Doshi myself. Um, kind of switching topics here a little bit. 
I want to talk about the effects of mental illness. Um, exactly. How does mood and emotions, how do they correlate to mental health? Yeah. So, right, we, we're all born with a range of emotions and we're allowed to have them. You know, I don't think anyone is going to characterize someone based on just the emotions that they experience. Um, now, when it becomes an issue is when there's a functional um, concern. So if you're experiencing, everyone has sadness, everyone has excitement, everyone has anxiety, you know. Um, but if it's a predominant force in your life and it's stopping you from doing things that you would normally want to do, like going to school, going to the gym, interacting with family, whatever it might be, that's when we step in and say, hey, maybe there's something that we can do here to alleviate this pain that you're experiencing. Hmm. Is that like would one of the telltale signs, this is just an example, but like you just want to lay in bed all day. You don't even want to get out to face the world. Is that kind of maybe a sign like, oh, this is something that's impacting the function of your life? Right. And, you know, I think some of us, you know, um, having a day where we lay in bed and don't, um, you know, interact with anything in the environment could actually be helpful for us mm. one day, you know. But if you notice that, wait a second, it's Wednesday, I was supposed to go to work, I was supposed to meet my brother for lunch, I was supposed to go to the gym at six, and I didn't do any of that, and I don't feel good about that, I think that's a whole nother level. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. How much does your environment affect your mental yeah, health? Like, not, you know, yeah. can the music you listen to have an effect on your mood? Absolutely. I mean, I think um, places like here, places like the gym where um, there's, you know, fast music pumping that gets your heart rate up, that allows you to kind of move to the beat and get going. I think that is, it's all designed a certain way, right? And it makes sense because I think mood can be affected, especially in the short term, by music. Um, I hesitate to say that it's going to have this long-term effects. You know, the whole, we, we all hear about, you know, play Mozart to a little baby and they'll grow up to <laughs> yeah. be a genius, you right. know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I don't know how much truth there is to that exactly, but, you know, if you go to a nice restaurant, you're probably going to hear some light classical music, some piano, and what they're trying to advertise to you is this, you know, relaxation. It's all part of the experience. And I do think that our mood is affected by that, and I do think that we can feel calm um, listening to certain types of music. Now, I, you know, I don't think everyone needs to listen to classical music to feel calm. I think that mm -hmm. if, you know, listening to the Hamilton mixtape gets you going, I think that's great. Yes. You know, I think that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, it's going to be different for everyone. Right. But I, I think it's more in the moment mood changes rather than super long lasting benefit. Hmm. Okay. Does, uh, what about like humor? A sense of humor. Um, you know, a lot of comedians come from tragic circumstances. And so it, does humor play a part in kind of um, our mood or, or our mental health? Absolutely. So the last time we talked, um, I discussed how uh, laughing releases endorphins and how this is a very good thing. And, you know, exercise releases endorphins. Interacting with people we care about and love and releases these same endorphins. So humor is definitely part of that. Now, um, the idea... You know, we, I think we saw um, less diversity in comedy in the 60s and 70s. We're mostly seeing males, mostly seeing white males at that time. And then it started progressing. And now we have like very diverse comedians. If you just fire up Netflix, right. you know, yeah. there's so many different comedians that are out there. So we're seeing less of this idea that tragedy leads to good humor. Um, I think it probably does for certain people. I think for other people... Um, they're just their observational style is something that um, lends itself to humor. And I think another way of really looking at humor is that this is a way that really 
decreases the social distance between people. Hmm. So when you hmm. walk into a room, if you're able to feel the pulse of the room, maybe say something that you feel like uh, is humorous to you, um, it can really decrease that social distance. And people are looking for that. They're looking for that quick, like, oh, yeah, I can, I can relate to this guy. I can right. talk to him. Yeah. And that connection. And, yeah. and, that, and that kind of helps with mental health and that it relieves anxiety, perhaps? Or is that, is that kind of how humor can play into mental health? Absolutely. I think it can help relieve the anxiety or tension of the moment. It can allow us to do whatever we wanted to do in the first place anyway. So if you have a big mm -hmm. meeting, a board meeting, and you know there's a lot of people there, and someone starts off with a humorous story, I think it can break the ice nicely for everyone else there. Right. I leave that tension. Do you think that we have natural defense mechanisms when it comes to, you know, in place to help us handle mental illness? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that we have them uh, just in place to to handle mental illness, but more just to take us through our day-to-day -day lives, right? So we have some, you know, very mature defense mechanisms like, you know, altruism, anticipation, you know, anticipation mm. being like preparation for things. And then we have some ones that, you know, maybe are not the most mature, like acting out and projection. Mm. Um, so we, this is how we deal with just day-to-day -day things that occur in our lives. Okay. Uh, you know, a really fascinating topic that we touched on a little bit in the last uh, episode that we wanted to talk about more was kind of social media and technology and how that kind of is affecting our current, um, how that's affecting society currently, and especially when it comes to mental health. So if you're currently dealing with depression or anxiety, which are some of the more common mental illnesses, um, how should you use social media in today's world? It's very individual. Um, I know for certain people... It's um, a place that they derive a lot of joy. And for other people, they feel like they have to just keep up. And that's why they're there. So I think if you're mm -hmm. one of, um, you know, if you, you know yourself better than anyone. And if you know that looking, flipping through photos of your friends on vacation when you're not in a great spot is only going to annoy you, then maybe, you know, deliberately spending some time away could be very helpful for you. However, if you're someone that knows that not understanding what's going on in the news, not understanding what's going on with people and how they relate to whatever new thing is going on is going to really bother you, then I think having some controlled method of, you know, still partaking in social media, but maybe not having it dominate your day is, um, is going to be beneficial. I think in, in recent times, there's also um, a lot more apps coming out that can help you manage stress and anxiety and depression. Um, apps. I'm not sure hmm. if I'm able mention. to mention specific yeah. ones. Well, but like, if it's helping people, yeah, mention yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, the Headspace app. Um, hmm. I think there's a couple others that I've read about. But um, what are your opinions on those? Do you think that if somebody is suffering from a mental health condition and they don't necessarily like using the social media platforms, that maybe they can still use an outlet like one of those apps as a good resource to kind of get a handle on what they're dealing with? I think they're wonderful. I think any way we can cater and make this more accessible to people, we should do it. Now, they may not be the end-all, be-all, and that's okay. They weren't designed for that. They're designed to allow people to maybe experience some calm in the moment, allow them to maybe go through with that meeting that otherwise would be really challenging for them. I've seen, I was recently on a plane, and the guy next to me pulled up 
in the exact app you spoke about, Headspace, oh, really? you know. And I thought it was just so interesting. Here's somebody getting in the moment so that they can handle, you know, some of the jitters that come with a plane flight, for which mm-hmm. for a lot of people can be very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. So I think it's great. I think it's um, a good opening strategy, you know. For some people, that might be all they need. For other people, they might recognize this was really helpful. I have a couple other challenges. Maybe I can, you know, seek help for those as well. In in our last episode, you mentioned this concept of that our uh, knowledge of tech, our technology outpaces our knowledge of it, essentially. Uh, so in the six months since then, have we gotten better? <laughs> Are we understanding it better and able to kind of uh, use it for good? I, I think so. I think, um, as you guys mentioned, that um, we're learning more about not only technology, but how we interface with it, which I think is super important. Um, if you have an iPhone, you'll know that sometimes it'll just chime in and let you know how long you've been staring at your screen that day right. or using a certain app. And, you know, sometimes that is very bewildering. You right. know, to, <laughs> right. I can't opening. believe that this is happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So I think that knowledge, you know, the first step is knowledge always. Right. So I think, um, you know, that's occurring. The reason that they, the programmers built that in is to give you that knowledge. Now, what are you going to do with that knowledge? Right. right? And, you know, I, I, Let's, let's break it down into something totally non-tech, okay? Let's think about maybe an example like shopping, okay? We've all been broke, but the broke college student or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, okay? Right. You, you know, you, if going to the mall is something you enjoy and social for you, you know, you can still go when you're broke as long as you know that you might be window shopping, right? right? Yeah. That might be all you're doing. Mm-hmm. But if it's still something stimulating for you, exciting for you, and, and something that gets you out of bed, do it, right? Mm. Um, with the knowledge that you may only par- be participating in a certain way. Right. Um, but if you're the kind of person that goes and needs to walk out with your hands full, you know, maybe you have to deliberately tell yourself in a couple of weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. I got to take some time away from this. Do you think with uh, technology, social media, do you think that's kind of, um, which is a bigger threat to positive mental health, the, the social media and the environment the technology or is it more maybe the sedentary behavior of lifestyles of uh, of people out there where they're not moving and exercising as much so we we have great data that you know living a sedentary life um, is going to create you know issues down the line i think that we can all agree that i mean there's even you know <laughs> ad campaigns like sitting is a new smoking you know right, things right. like that mm-hmm. which you know even stresses me out as we're sitting right. down talking um, <laughs> we'll stand up next right. time <laughs> exactly and so I, I, I think it's very fair. And I think people, most people are understanding, you know, I can't tell you how many of my patients come in and talk to me about their step counts. Like, hey, doc, mm-hmm. I'm hitting 8,000 steps a day and I'm so proud of myself. I was at 3,000 before I started tracking this. That makes me really happy, you know, knowing that people are taking that into account. So I think people are recognizing that it's so much easier with tech for us to be sedentary you know, we can literally order dinner, right. you know, from our phones right. and, and interact with people and share what we're experiencing in ways that were not possible. And we're going to adjust to that over time. Um, tech, on the other hand, you know, presents uh, a different issue. You know, if you if communication is your thing, now you have to think about, well, how many people do I want to communicate with the thousand people I know at the same time? Do I want to how much do I let people in? You know, right. Um, also, you know, nonverbal communication is a funny thing. You know, we in studying communication, we find that most of communication is nonverbal, but we don't really think of it that way. 
We think right. what I say is what they should and just and interpret. Right. Um, but that's probably not what's happening for the other person. Right. It's probably the eye contact you give, the smile, you know, how much are you looking down at your feet while they talk? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a challenge to say anything is like, you know, going to be a big challenge for us in the future. What lifestyle, what issue? And we can't run away from tech. It's here. It's happening. It's only going to get bigger in our lives. It's just about how we embrace it and how we control it, you know, in terms of our own mental health. Right. That's a good way to look at it. I feel like I've always like teetered on the fence of, okay, I'm just going to delete everything. But then I work yeah. in digital marketing. So I'm like, no, actually, I the should probably keep. extremes on the extremes. Right. And we always <laughs> yeah. talk about balance. Balance is usually yeah. the key, but it's hard. Yeah. It's very hard yeah. to do. You know, yeah. and I think self-expression is different than comparison. Mm-hmm. So some, you know, apps are and social media have more to do with self-expression. And for some people, that's really uplifting. And then there are other ways that you could use social media where, it's, you know, you get into that comparison game. And right. that becomes really tough. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, so when it comes to uh, fitness and mental health, it does seem like there's some correlation, like we talked about with endorphins, of exercising releases those endorphins, which can help with uh, your mental health or help you feel better. Are there certain types of exercises that are, or activities that are better than another? I, I would hesitate to say anything's better than something else. I think whatever gets you up and moving is probably the right thing for you. You know, so I know that there's so many different we have more options now than ever before. I think even going to a gym used to be you go to the gym, you lift weights or you run on the treadmill and that's it. Now there's classes. Now there's, you know, different ways. There's aqua therapy. There's so many different ways to access, you know, the good benefits that we see from exercise. And I would just want anything that interests you to be what you do and and doing it. Probably the best thing, though, would be to do it consistently, to do it often, and to make it part of your routine so it doesn't become like, oh, I have to exercise. But no, more like, this is something I do. I get home. This is the thing that relaxes me. Uh, You can make it social. You can make it something that's just for you. You can use the music that we know can be uplifting or uh, be motivating for you, whatever it might be. But as long as it's something that you are invested in and you see the long-term benefits in front of you, I think people will sustain it. Is there a certain time frame though that you should keep active? Like you should be exercising for this amount of time in order to notice like the release of those endorphins. People get really excited about that number, you know, because yeah. they feel like if I could just hit that number, right. I got it all taken hour, care of. I don't know. Exactly. And there's there's a lot of reports on this and there's a lot of studies. And um, some of it's good science and some of it is probably not the best. Um, I think you know, most physicians would probably want you to be exercising for 20, you know, 25 minutes several times a week. I think that would cover the majority of people in terms of getting their physical and mental health better. Um, There's people that do a lot more than that and they enjoy it and that's wonderful for them. And there's people where 20 minutes seems like, how am I going to fit that in? But I think if we can aim for that, that's a really good starting spot. Right. And that's, I think, important for people to realize is you don't have to go zero to 100. Um, and like a personal story for me is like, I usually would be that way, like go to the gym and then you're trying to exercise every single day and you get burned out. And then finally I was like, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to do some stuff that I like, and then I'm going to leave. And that was it. And I've been able to maintain and build off of that over the course of a year. So not going zero to 100 is probably more beneficial to you. So just go in and do do 20 minutes, focus on a really small goal 
and, and make that happen, then you'll start to see those uh, effects compound over time. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sound like a psychiatrist here, and I apologize <laughs> for that, but our relationship with exercise is probably more important than the absolute number of minutes huh. that we do it. Okay, like how we co- like what we think of exercise, how we feel about it. Like if, what you, th- if you get home and you're thinking, I can't wait to go for a swim, you know, I know that that's going to be my thing tonight, and it's going to really relax me, and then I'll be able to hang out with friends or do whatever it might be. That's wonderful. But if you get there and you think... I'm going to record on my app exactly how many steps I took, how many, how many reps I did, what weights I did, and that is stressful for you. I don't know how long right. you're going to keep that up. Right. Mm-hmm. You'd be counterproductive. Yeah, that's a good the key, point. That's yeah, really the key point. is really just finding something that you enjoy, that you look forward to doing. Then it doesn't even feel like exercise. Right, yeah. yeah. So we talked about that number, that big number, one in five uh, Americans, 20%. It's like 44, 46 million Americans suffering uh, from a mental health condition every year. Does this mean that those people um that those that suffer they need to be in therapy no i i think all of those people could probably benefit from doing something to help themselves um therapy is one way but by no means is it something that everyone needs to access we have you know support groups which are really helpful for lots of people um we have what we call bibliotherapy or basically even books that are great that really teach some of these tools um, that we would otherwise see in like cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, we have, you know, a variety of different things that, you know, we employ over at, uh, you know, at KP and that even coming to the gym, you know, the apps that Candice mentioned, you know, these are different ways to go about and limit um, the difficulties that you might be experiencing due to mood issues, anxiety, or whatever it might be. Right. And it might, it might take some experimenting to find out which one of those is kind of going to be the breakthrough or help you the most. Absolutely. So let's talk about the future a little bit. Have there been any significant advances in treatment recently um, since we last spoke for mental health? People are excited about ketamine. People are excited about there's, um, you know, the FDA is looking into a treatment for postpartum depression, which a lot of Americans suffer from. So I'm excited about this down the line, but I don't think we're at the point where we can safely say that this is something that all insurers are going to provide and it's going to be easily accessed for the majority of Mm -hmm. us. So I think very cool and exciting things to look forward to, um, but we'll have to see how it pans out for different people. Also, um, you know, sometimes for trials, we see benefit, but when it actually comes to the majority of people using uh, these types of treatments, it may not pan out. So, mm. you know, uh, speaking to your doctor is probably the best way to go about it. So there's some pretty like, uh, I guess, experimental things going on that are seem promising, but they're in trials still and it's still a ways off. And when it gets into the general public, whether it can be mass consumed or not, it's still, it could change things at that point. So, Absolutely. okay. So kind of the best thing still, or what you talked about, the self-help or to get therapy or to exercise, kind of sticking to some of those basics to try and help yourself. Absolutely. I don't, and I don't think any of these new treatments are going to replace those. They may just augment it. Mm. So we still can move forward right, right now. You know, we don't have right. to wait for anything. So let's get to uh, one of our favorite segments that we close the show out with actionable advice, where we kind of get something tangible uh, to hold on to and take with us. Uh, so what are, what are some of those, th- what are some things uh, that you can add into that the listeners can add into their daily routine to help improve their mental health? One thing that I'm really um, pushing on my patients is to have a passion project, some type of creative hmm. expression, because I've learned so much just speaking with them. You know, what what do you get excited about? What do you want to spend your Sunday morning doing? 
And I've heard amazing things from them. You know, some are into scrapbooking, some are into, you know, knitting, some are extreme hikers. You know, we have like the super bloom right now and all the wildflowers right, and yeah. it's a beautiful time to be out. So whatever it might be, just involving yourself in that can really be uplifting and move the work forward. So I think that's one thing. Another thing that I'm having people that's a little bit more indoors and maybe easier to access for some people is something that I'm personally doing now, which is um, my phone, which, you know, can be something that, uh, you know, we were talking about tech can be very good. It yeah. can also, you know, be the flip side. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to not look at it the first 30 minutes I wake up and the, the yeah. last 30 minutes before I go to bed. So that email that came in is not what's on my mind while I'm brushing. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that post that someone put, you know, is not wrecking me before I go to bed. I was wondering why you weren't responding to me at 1130 <laughs> at night. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> Uh, that's a great one. I yeah. think that's really healthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, I bet you the majority of people listening to this are like, I've thought about doing that too. Honestly, like not, especially in the morning. I agree with that one. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, Dr. Doshi. Really appreciate it. Uh, another great conversation. Uh, thanks for being on the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you guys. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. We want to thank all our listeners for tuning in each and every week. And if you're not already a subscriber, maybe you'll consider subscribing so that you can get our next episode delivered straight to your phone. Yes. And if you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, just make sure to use the hashtag living healthy podcast and leave it on our social channels so that we make sure we see your comments. We hope you learned something new today. And until next time, thanks for being a good listener and we'll see you in the gym. <laughs>